Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? The Coffee Clutch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online with Season 4, Episode 1, The Auguries. Jason, what is an augury? It's what I do whenever you tell me something. I always augury with you. <laughs> now you're getting it. Don't worry about a thing. It's all in your head. At least according to this episode. This is our season four opener, written by Lisa Joy and William Brommel, directed by Richard J. Lewis. IMDb is giving it an eight and Rotten Tomatoes a 77%. The critics say Westworld's continued reliance on mystery will frustrate just as much as it intrigues. But this fourth season still offers plenty of gleaming and menacing insight into a brave new world. So before we get into the fun... Let's say welcome. If you are new here, we had a season four prepper to get you caught up on what happened in season three and ready for this season. Of course, we didn't know too much at the time, but we did a little theorizing. It was a quick brush up for you if you don't want to go back and rewatch all of season three. Of course, we'll be talking a little bit about where we left off and we'll go through our main sections as usual. We'll discuss the opening credits, the title, our new faces and places, and our plot line. But then we have a new segment that we are starting this season, and it's called our Summary Showdown. Now, it might wind up being completely ridiculous. We've never tried it before. I hope it is. I think it'll be funnier if it is ridiculous. (laughs) But we wanted to have a season-long battle, if you will. What's going to happen is Jason and I are both going to be getting lines from each episode. I have to automatically take the first and last line from each episode while you get to pick what you think is the best line. Yes, but it's proving, and you'll see soon, to be harder than you think. Well, I could see that, but also I am completely at the mercy of the episode for this. I don't get to choose. So we're going to get those lines each episode, and then at the end of the season, we're going to have to string them all together into a paragraph, something that's a synopsis of the season, and we'll see whose is better at explaining what happened in season four, if either. Neither of them will work, but it'll be a funny ad-libs. They're both going to be probably completely random, but this could be a lot of fun. So stay tuned every episode to see which lines we got. And then at the end of the season, we'll have our showdown. Also, at the end of every episode, we're going to give you our reverie rating, which is our rating for that specific episode, and our MVBs, most valuable beings. Now, if you missed it this week, don't worry. We do it every week. Just go to our Twitter, at CKC Podcast. At the end of every episode, we give you four choices For that episode, who is your most valuable being? Who did the most or who was your favorite? And then also, in that same tweet, you can comment anything you want. You can discuss questions that you have of the episode. You can tell us what you thought about the episode. Whatever you want, send us a shout and we'll discuss it on this podcast. So I teased this before, but let's talk about what auguries actually mean. We have a couple of options here. The straight definition is that they are a sign or omen of something that will happen in the future. That's Pretty vague, but in addition to hinting at actual omens or bad portents, this could be a sign of multiple timelines, which we have certainly played with in this show before. We have indicators that could be happening. What I think is interesting, the actual definition goes a little bit further to say that 
the augury was a practice from ancient Roman religion of interpreting these omens through a couple of different formats, but mainly from the observed behavior of birds. They would look for certain patterns and symbols to determine what would happen. So maybe not a bird, but another creature. Fly? Yeah. Stick around. I want to talk about flies in our closer look later on in the episode. Perhaps the most relevant meaning of this, I think, goes back to the poem, The Auguries of Innocence by William Blake. I believe we talked about this in season one, and Dr. Ford might have even called this out with the line, a robin redbreast in a cage puts all of heaven in a rage. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think he was quoting that line to talk about the hosts and the desire to free them. There's a lot of interesting lines. This is a really long poem, but it opens up to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Every night and every morn, some to misery are born. Every morn and every night, some are born to sweet delight. There's a lot of words here calling out to this. We are led to believe a lie when we see not through the eye, but does a human form display to those who dwell in realms of day? I think this is Drake. (laughs) It's about what it means to be human, what it means to be free, what things are fated upon us. It has a lot of relevance to this show, so I have a feeling it's something the creators are going to call out to often. Absolutely. They love to play that in their through lines every season. Humanity, freedom, innocence, or the perceived freedom Mm -hmm. that we may or may not have. And last season, the perceived freedom or enslavement of hosts led to that of humans. So are we going to be looking at conversions here that we never thought possible? There's a lot of big themes that we'll talk about. They also like to play around with the music where that's concerned. We didn't get a ton of notes in this episode, but two of the big ones... The Wind Cries Mary. Love that song. Jimi Hendrix. This is when Maeve is in the cabin alone going through the memories. And Video Games by Lana Del Rey. Of course, this is a instrumental adaptation, but it plays in the last scene when Christina's on the balcony and through the end credits. It's so nice to be back on HBO reviewing one of their shows because their score is always amazing. Their visuals are always amazing. Even the beginning, it wasn't a song. It was just sound effects that really added to the atmosphere in the prologue. It was insane. Well, that's because you remember who the composer is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ramin Jawadi. Of course. So the scoring's always going to be incredible. And the other thing to talk about before we get into the episode proper is our opening credits. You and I just recently released one of our new podcast topics to these free channels that we are calling Random Rankings. We rank anything in the world, really, but primarily stuff related to entertainment. And the one we just covered is about opening TV and movie credits sequences. Yeah, top 10. It was really good. It was fun. It's called Random Rankings. Check that out on our main channel. I think we dropped it on Westworld as well. But if you haven't, Subscribe to our main channel as well, Coffee Clatch Crew. You won't miss any of those. Slight spoiler, Westworld's opening sequence wound up pretty high on my list. We discussed how one of the things about it is the key elements stay the same, but it will change with each season to reflect what's going to be coming. Very HBO, or a.k.a. Hobononum. Rehoboam? No, it's Hobononum, because HBO. But is it their version? It's their version. Okay. They're letting us know. It's like, it's very meta. If you're telling me they're controlling my mind and my life, I don't disagree. 
how many times have you said a cable is too expensive, but we can't get rid of HBO? Get rid of any other subscription <laughs> you want, but if you touch HBO, we're gonna have a problem. That's habonanum. <laughs> habonanum. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, one of the big changes this season to the opening credits is that we have this machine that looks like a 3D printer. It seems to have been printing our hosts in the past, but historically different animals. We had a buffalo in season one. That's right. This time, of course, we have the fly. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen the fly. It's always had a significance, especially in the first season. So I think it's not by mistake, and we should keep an eye on it. It's an overarching theme, but what I love about it, it's been buzzing around in the background. We haven't gotten a full explanation as to what's actually going on with it, so I'm excited to talk about that later. But then we move into the typical, we get the player piano, the strings that almost look like thread that are building new structures, and people. However, this time, the people look like human skeletons Mm -hmm. underneath the flesh, right? There's actual bone and then muscle. Well, that's the first thing I noticed with their main photo. Every season, Westworld has a main photo. Last year was the skeleton. on. It looked like in a desert. Basically, yes. the apocalypse. Everything was burning. This one, we have two robot arms, one holding a human skull, while the other robot arm is either putting in or taking out, I'm going to say putting in, a pearl. A brain ball. Yeah. A brain ball. Into and what a human color? Skull. Red. Red, which indicated human last time. Hosts were were black, I believe. Either way, it's definitely the humans that were red. Hmm, shit's going down, dude. We don't know anything. That's what Westworld has taught us. Well, yeah, we're not into overall thoughts quite yet, but I think this was a typical opener. Westworld is telling you, you don't know what the F is going on. You're not going to know yet. The difference is now we've come to expect it. Mm -hmm. I never believe that I am where they're showing me. The person that I'm seeing (laughs) is that person. So it's not exactly a mystery or surprise anymore. It's more like how are they going to unveil the truth and which one of these theories will be correct. And that's the fun part. That is fun. I think I am waiting for a deeper character thing to hook me the way I was hooked by the Maeve Ciroc storyline last season that was immediately very interesting. I like Caleb as a character. He just hasn't emotionally really pulled me in yet, and that could be because of the place he's at. Oh, yeah, he's emotionally broken. I can understand that. Well, absolutely, but then we've got a Christina version of Dolores that's not Dolores, so of course I can't cop onto that, and then the man in black. (laughs) So essentially, I'm just waiting with bated breath for Bernard to come back on the scene, (laughs) is what I'm telling you. Back to our opening sequence, they're also building a structure that I'm not sure if we've seen before, and I don't know exactly what this building-looking thing is. It looks cool. We, we wound it. It's so quick. But you did point out, and we're not sure yet, that it did look similar to the streetlights in the city. Right, which I have a feeling if that was intentional, that's because those lights are modeled after something bigger else or stand for something else in the real world, in another timeline. Mm-hmm. Whatever might be going on, they flicker right before two characters just disappear, indicating you're not where you think you are. Some other shit is going down here. I can't wait to discuss that. So that was for sure a symbol. Then we got the skeleton emerging from that milk-like substance, forming people. And then 
two figures that we are to assume are hosts now, but they look like human people. Yeah. And again, I don't think this is accidental. The whole thing is being built to look like humans being turned into hosts. Well, the last shot too is something that was Rehoboam last season, the large spherical thing in the center, Mm -hmm. but it looks more organic itself this time. There's little hive-like pods that all come together to make the sphere, Mm -hmm. and it looks like people being segregated into their little sections, but it definitely feels more alive. It feels like Rehoboam version two. Something bigger. Yeah. And maybe that's what the man in black is building. Who knows at this point? And it is possible that a superstructure like that still exists. We know there was another version before Rehoboam called Solomon. Yeah. They all did slightly different things. I think the Christina storyline has many shout outs to that that I'm excited to talk about. Pause to say it's really bugging me out that her name's Christina. That's your name. It's so weird because it's a common name, and yet I don't remember ever watching a show where the main character has that name. Your name doesn't have an H. It's spelled the weird way. I like to think the cool way. Yeah, but in my notes, I keep spelling it your way. Oh, that's fine. Shit. Who cares? <laughs> so don't be surprised if one of these weeks you see MVB poll, and I spelled it wrong. You'll know why, because that's how you spell Christina's name. <laughs> Well, that's going to take us into our new Faces, Places, and Ideas section. First up, we have Christina with an H. (laughs) It's a new character played by the same actress. Evan Rachel Wood. A lot of questions when we read about it in our pre-show episode. Mm -hmm. We had many questions and concerns, but I have some theories now that we'll discuss later. And if these theories are correct, I think it'll work out well. Yeah, well, we knew this wasn't just going to be a regular person. No, of course not. What would be the point? But Evan is now a brunette, so she changed her name and her hair hair color to match me. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. going on. Christina is friends with another new character named Maya that we discussed on The Prepper, played by Ariana DeBosi. That's her roommate. Then we have Emmett, Christina's boss. Where she works at Olympiad Entertainment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unfold there that we don't know yet. Peter is the man who has been stalking, calling Christina incessantly. Why are you doing this to us? He believes she is not who she says she is and has a lot of control. He is perhaps our greatest insight tip-off to what's actually happening in this situation. Then we have Yuwadi, the composer of the show. Just kidding. That's Joati. <laughs> That's Caleb's wife. Although she grounds him very well, I think they work very well off of each other, those two characters. I don't think we're going to see much of her. Oh, yeah. I don't think so either, except it does feel like the relationship with Frankie, his daughter, is going to be more important. So I don't know quite how that's going to happen or if it's just a glimmer with her. It seems like we are going to get the Caleb Maeve pair up that. I didn't think we would do, or maybe I was hoping that Caleb would be more paired with Bernard to bring him back into center stage this season. But I had kind of said that it felt like Maeve had been spinning her wheels by the end there, and I couldn't see what else we would do with her if not pair her up with Caleb. Yeah, she's going to be the main badass for us. Um, Mirrored by some... She always? Well, yeah, but she's not going to... She's going to be our main hero, I think, especially in the beginning. And someone we didn't see yet... It's probably next episode, is Hale, or Hale Dolores. Hello, Because, you know, she's going to be mixing some shit up. 
And she's definitely behind the Man in Black thing because we learned she at made the, him. We learned at the end of season three, this is finally the host version of William. Now, sorry, I'm going to jump the gun because there's no answer to this, but you remember the end of season two, one version of human Man in Black, or at least we think, somehow ended up in the future and there was a host Man in Black. Do you think it's the same host Man in Black? Now, this seemed like the far future, and it did appear that they were testing him for fidelity to get to the stage that Dolores got to prior to last season, where she really achieved full sentience and became way more human-like. If what's going on this season is what I am speculating, and that they are turning humans into hosts, you would think that it's going to take some time. It took a long time just to get the host to achieve that level, to mess around with whatever they're doing here. But that did seem like a far, far future. Like, is it going to really take that long? What's going to happen in the meantime? Is it because there is some sort of apocalyptic scenario yet to come, as we speculated, and things will kind of be wiped out for a while? You know, this is what Bernard was going to find the answers to. Yeah, or... We did see the apocalypse happen at the end of last season. Maybe this was in between those times, the seven years that we've, we've missed. Eight years. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, the scenes we get with Caleb lead us to believe that things haven't changed as much as maybe they hoped they would. Well, shit's gotten worse. But as, as you've speculated, there could be way more going on behind the scenes that they don't know about. But I'm talking about almost complete destruction of humankind. Uh, will something like that happen where we are trying to rebuild? Or is that just another natural state of evolution for hosts to replace humans? But if so, why are they trying to make them more human? Like, it's a very interesting proposition for what they think they're doing. Well, you can't replace them all at once, so you have to slowly infiltrate. Do you? Maybe. I don't know. I, if Haloris and the Man in Black are behind this... I know they have been playing their cards slowly for eight years, but I see them more as a hammer fist than a Dolores stealth when it comes to their action plan. I think we got to see what she's up to behind the scenes. But anyhow, we do open with none other than the man in black. That's right. The cold opening. Probably my favorite part of the episode. But that's not surprising, the men in black. Well, they usually are. They're kind of separate from the rest of the storyline. This Mm -hmm. is the only time we really see him. He meets with a man named Hugo, a cartel boss who owns a server farm by Hoover Dam. And the man in black tells him he doesn't want to just invest. He wants to buy the whole damn thing. Because what he wants was stolen from his facility eight years ago. The person who stole it is dead, and he can't decrypt it. No one can. He doesn't want it moved or disturbed, so he'll just take everything. Well, Hugo doesn't want that deal. He's not going to sell. So the man in black says he'll just be back tomorrow to take it from him. So funny. I don't even know Hugo and his gangster family, but I felt bad for him right away. Oh, sure. He seems pretty much unfazed until he goes home that night to find a horde of flies in his bedroom. What happens? We're not really sure. He passes out. It seems like they infiltrate him and change him. Yeah, I was waiting for the ending part of this scene when the man in black walks away. Flies to like fly out of the guy's mouth or mm-hmm. something. But no. I think they went in, did their job, and they're gone. Yeah. But if he was human, how did they do this to control him? It's a good question. Are they some type of 
nanobites or something that's going in and what are they doing to human brains that are allowing access to control because certainly it's a different Hugo that wakes up the next day to go into the office or at least he is fritzing out Mm -hmm. (laughs) similar to how we saw hosts fritzing out in season one when there was dissonance and things did not make sense to them, when his coworkers start to laugh at the conversation he relays having the day prior, he pulls out a knife and kills them all in what seems like a rage that's outside of himself. Oh yeah, uncontrollable. Uh, Real quick, what you know about flies is when they land, they tend to puke? Yes. Maybe the flies puke out the nanobots and then fly away. Yeah, but what is that doing to a human brain? How is going it in there seizing and control? Well, if you look at the, again, the main image for this season, those look like strings. I have no strings. Right. So it's but this image is like a puppet. A, right. This image is presupposing humans that have brain balls in their head that they are trying to change. In which case you could program, do things. We've seen that before to a brain ball. But if this is a human who doesn't yet have one of those, you're talking about an organic brain. Mm -hmm. And you would think that process would be very different. Now, I don't know because later on, and we're skipping forward, when Maeve opens the man's head that she encounters, they purposely don't show us. The pearl. If there's a pearl in there. She's porting into something. The only way we've known previous you can do that is if there is a pearl in there. Right. Well, I just assumed, and I might be wrong here, that if they work for the men in black, they're hosts. But this man did not seem to prior to this. No, not at all. So I don't think that he is. So mm, I, I, that's what I mean. There's another... something more complex that we're not sure about. And it's going to show us that several times you don't know yet. Mm. And we're not going to tell you. Oh, I should have said this at the top. I normally do this with every new season of every show. We should let you guys all know, especially if you're new here. If you're not new, you know this. We don't pretend to know anything more than you. We don't have any inside knowledge. The point of this podcast is to throw shit at the wall and have fun with it. We don't get screeners. We don't get advanced information. We've talked about this before. We are definitely not going to be the first podcast of the week to drop in your feed. In fact, this behind the scenes is probably one of the earliest recorded we will get for all of this season. So we haven't had as much time to research information, but normally... That is our strong suit, that we are going to try to uncover all the information we can about what's out there. But yeah, we're also just going to speculate wildly, and uh, much of it's going to be wrong. What we're trying to do is put out any theory that's either out there... Or that we have. ...in the fandom universe currently that people are talking about, or, right, something that came to us over the course of watching. Or oftentimes with me, as you're talking, I just think of something, and it's normally stupid. We want this to be a reflection of all the things you might have been going through while watching the episode, not necessarily a week or two later once you have all the answers. So by that point, it might seem obvious. But we're hoping that you're following along with us on this ride. And that's why we encourage you to let us know. So always, under that MVB tweet, write to us, or you can email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or call us and be heard on the podcast. And you can do that by calling 252 368-6606. That's CKC.6606. Back to our cold open. (laughs) After poor Hugo does the Man in Black's dirty work, he asks if he's done now. Thank you. 
Is my work done? Yes. You can rest now. Epic scene that was going to be one of my summary showdowns, best lines of the episode, but we decided it's two sentences from two different people, so I have to avoid those. Right, it's dialogue between two characters. Right. So what can happen, a lot of these sentences sort of have two parts. It's part one, semicolon, part Part two. two. You could choose to take the whole thing, one or the other, but it has to be from one sentence. Right. So is my work done? Yes, you can rest now. Another fun thing, something we didn't talk about, it's at the Hoover Dam. It's pretty cool. Been there. Would love to fly my drone around there, but I would be arrested real quick. I have a question, a nerd question that means nothing to the storyline. If you're going to build this multi, multi million dollar, probably billion dollars servers, the last place you're going to do it is at the bottom of Hoover Dam. No. False. They didn't outrightly say it, but I believe they're using some of the natural power that's harnessed that the, f- from that the, the water, water the from moving. the dam itself to power the server farm. Yes, but the cost to keep the moisture away from those computers would outspend the cost they were saving on the energy. It depends on what type of business you've got going on here, and it seems like... It's big. It's big enough that he can outright turn down the Man in Black's offer at first. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's cool as shit. I just, uh, trust me, you're not going to make a server farm (laughs) in that location. Okay, it's not real life, though. And maybe they got shit in the future we don't know about. It's very true. Let's move along. I should explain that in our plot synopses that we do. We group these up by character. So in the show, they went Maeve, Caleb, Christina, Caleb, Maeve. We're just going to talk about all the Maeve scenes at once. Cool. It's easier that way. Word. We see Maeve alone in a cabin in the middle of the woods, sitting by a fire and going through memories in her mind. It's clearly taking a lot of power, and after causing the generator to blow, a full blackout rolls through the nearby town. The next day, she goes to the town store and finds out men have been looking for her. Stealthily returning to her cabin, she sends her truck down without her as a diversion. She then explodes it and shoots everyone except the main guy, Colonel Brigham. Badass moments. Love the fight scenes. I'm so happy that in episode one, they started showing us badass fights again. They started showing us the man in black and him just being like, I'm the shit. I'm one of the best actors ever. And watch me just kick ass with my words (laughs) and then have flies do the work for me. This is one of the Maeve fighting with guns, Maeve fighting with her katana. Gotta love it. Blowing everything up and also her mind because that opening sequence where she is scrolling through, searching her memory database, her own memory. Mm. It's so powerful that it causes this huge disruption, which is, of course, how this group finally tracked her. She's been off the grid for seven years trying to lie low, not bothering anyone, but this gave them the signal they needed. Unfortunately, Brigham won't tell her any more than that. So she kills him, brings him back, and opens up his head. You got to have some scalping if it's Westworld. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it's purposely dark. Like we said, they don't show whether or not there's a pearl going on, but she ports into something and scrolls through his recent memories, finding a meeting with the man in black. My question is, why would Maeve stop looking into the memories at that point? Why wouldn't she keep watching to find out what the man in black said to him? I have to believe she either did that, because there's no way 
she wouldn't think to if it was there, or that was the end of that, and she couldn't access it for some reason. Maybe you only have a certain amount of time before the memory nerves are dead or something, maybe? Uh, I have no idea. She does kind of imply to Caleb she knew a little bit of something, enough to come get him and to have one other piece of information. We'll talk about it when we get there. But at this point, she decides to set her cabin on fire and head out. What I really enjoyed and a lot of people pointed out is the fact that it's all about details with Westworld. You saw her truck. It was like a 1952 truck. Oh, it's a clunker. That's on purpose so that she can stay off the grid. Guaranteed, the rest of the cars are all Elon Musk cars that are attached to the grid. They know where you are, whenever you are. Well, this is a good question because after the riots, we weren't sure what does the structure of everything look like. Sure, there aren't robots, quote unquote, Taking the jobs from the humans is the way Caleb and Joe talk about it on the construction site. Otherwise, technology looks pretty similar. They have the helicopter drone that flies in the man in black. Looks dope. They have the advanced simulation 3D modeled narrative that Dolores is creating for Olympiad Entertainment, just appearing as she speaks it in front of her at her office. Yeah. You know, then they have a comparison to a regular-ish human life in the city with this very tiny apartment that she's living in. Nothing looks super high tech. There's rooftop gardens and greenery everywhere. So some kind of mixture. Yeah. And that was their goal. You know, you have your phones that look dope. They're see-through. You have your iPads basically that are see-through. Although I would say it was more impressive season one, the one they were using that folded. Yeah. These uh, cell phone thingies. But uh, again, think that we're probably not seeing the current time frame with me real um, life with Christina. With Christina, sorry. Yeah. So we can't judge solely based Absolutely. on Absolutely. Yeah, before we get to Christina, next let's talk about the Caleb plot lines. We mentioned he goes back to work at a building construction job that looks similar to what he was doing at the start of last season, though now with another human named Joe thinking that they're lucky to have their jobs back now that all the robots are scrap metal. (laughs) And Caleb thinks the riots won them their freedom. But Joe thinks, well, are things really that different? Has life actually changed since we destroyed the machines? The Insight machine didn't tell them who they could be, but who they already were. He didn't think it predicted or controlled the future so much as showed them they already lived life that way. (laughs) They were on a loop, perhaps, of their own making. Yeah. And how much was this actually doing? How much did it actually free them to not have it there? And if that is a question people have been wrestling with, it's very clear, perhaps, why Caleb has not been... Happy? Super happy. Yeah. It's not the life With that what the revolution did that he helped. We're all in our hamster wheels, which we'll see in Christ- with Christina as well. We wake up, do the same routine, drive the same car to the same place every day. Basically, Westworld's telling me I need to just, I need to get out of this park. Well, it's very interesting because parts of his life, such as that, might be similar. But then he goes home and we see that he is married to this woman. They have a seven-year-old child. That's very different from what he was predicted for, what he thought he could have. Now, emotionally, how much he's able to really tap into that is a question, but... He loves his daughter. This is an enormous part of him that he was able to theoretically change. Oh, yeah. 
I don't know. I have to see more about what he thinks of this world that they're in now. We see him interacting with Frankie. She is shooting some sort of pellet gun out back, taking mm-hmm. out cans. She's not super great at it yet, but Caleb is a perfect shot. And he tells her it just takes practice. Mom watching from outside, she is not too happy about <laughs> how he's raising her up. She calls them in for dinner. And on the wall, we see a sign that we're going to see a couple of times in graffiti that's got a robot with an X over it. And it says, my brain, my choice. Hmm. Well, what about these brains with pearls being put into them? See, I just thought this went back to the revolution when people got upset and the wars that occurred with them taking out the robots. Now, that was eight years ago. Would the graffiti still be there? No, that looked fresh. It looked pretty new. So, yeah, I suppose that's not really the thing. What we do know is the thing is to take these tabs they started showing us a bunch of that last season, yeah. right? That was another form of control. But they're still doing it. That seemed more voluntary because people took them on their own, but there was pretty much a pill to solve any emotion, um, meaning don't have any, basically. If you have any emotions that are too extreme, just take something. Yeah. And it reminded me a little bit of the movie we just watched, Spiderhead. It's OBDX, right? Yes, it is. The ultimate. We mentioned Iwati's not too pleased with what she sees happening here. After Caleb reads Frankie a bedtime story and reassures her she's safe, he thinks he sees something outside and goes to get his gun, at which point his wife sadly thinks they've been through this before. She tells him the war is over and he needs to move on from the past. He's paranoid and sees threats everywhere, now causing Frankie to mimic his PTSD symptoms. She also thinks that he believes... Regardless of all the good things, his life is too ordinary for him. Maybe he misses the war. He tries to insist they're still after him. This is not paranoia. (laughs) Meanwhile, Frankie drops her teddy bear outside her window. When she goes to retrieve it, she's approached by a man. Hey there. Is your daddy home? Daddy, this man wants to talk to you. And Caleb comes out only just in time to save her. He tackles her to the ground and the man trains his gun on them. But Maeve comes up just in time to kill the man from behind. Maeve with the save! Hello, darling. Caleb thought he'd never see her again. But she tells him the man in black is back at it. Well, what did she say? Did she say hello, darling, or hello, sweetie? No, sweetie's from something else. Okay, so hello, darling, I think. It was so good. That was a badass scene. Caleb knows how to run, or I should say Aaron Paul knows how to run for an action movie. That was a dope run. Intense moment, and then you, you, you have me. I mean, the guy shot. I couldn't tell if he hit one of them until they stood up. Yeah, horrible shot, by the way. And you were right. It was Hello, Sweetie was Doctor Who. That's right. Um, <laughs> when Caleb goes to tell his wife, she says, okay, you're right. Something's going on. The war is not over. But I, I kind of wanted her to say a little more, like, I'm sorry. Oh, shit. It's real. There's people really after you. I'm so glad you saved our daughter. I totally understand. We could go on a whole long talk about this, the effects of PTSD and what this has clearly done to him, what is now happening with secondary trauma with Frankie. And he's addicted to it, let's be honest. Uh, To a certain extent, it does seem like that. But again, I don't have enough fleshed out for me yet of what's been going on in his life these past eight years and how he's feeling about it. He's certainly very eager to take up this fight once Maeve arrives. He says he needs to go and end this. 
We're not the only ones William was after. He was very interested in talking to a senator in California. Then we should get to him first. We? I'm coming. It's the only way I can protect my family. I'll be fine on my own. You can stay here. You probably should. Would you? No. But I'd regret it. Man, I'm excited for Westworld. This is great. You feeling hyped? You I'm ready to move hyped. on to Dolores? I mean, Christina. Christina. Absolutely. Well, she wakes up in a small New York City apartment. We discussed her roommate, Maya. She tells her she's been having nightmares because she's been getting a lot of calls again from, quote, that weirdo and feels like someone's been watching her. But Maya thinks she just doesn't get out enough and she can't hide from the world forever. So she set her up on a date. Yeah, this is tricky for the writers. How do you sum up Christina's life in one episode? Mm -hmm. And I think they did a pretty decent job. I love what they did with Manhattan, the way they made it. They kept the skyline, but they made it look futuristic with changing Manhattan's parking lots into this greener scenery and these weird lights, though I don't know if I would be if I would be comfortable with those where they turn on only when you get under it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Sensor it's a lot easier types. to follow someone mm-hmm. like that and creep on well, them. Well, so there are cues that this might not be a real world. That's one of them. There are mm-hmm. some weird things happening with the lights. There are these everyday routines, which, yes, yep. you could say all people have. I certainly have very strict routines that remain pretty much the same every morning and every night. But to see Evan Rachel Wood going through one very similar to that oh, yeah. of Dolores's in season one, waking up in bed, opening her eyes, stretching, it's almost beat for beat. There's so many similarities. Like you just said, the same shot of Dolores or Christina waking up in bed over and over. That beautiful shot of her. Now, some of these are a stretch, but work with me here. We also have, you remember how much Dolores loved painting? Mm-hmm. So one of the many shots did get a little annoying of her looking in the mirror. Of like, okay, mirror shots, we get it. We see that there's a painting in her home on an easel. Mm. And paintbrushes. So this, Christina loves to paint, mm-hmm. assuming. Um, you remember the can that rolled away from Dolores in the park? She would drop a can and a stranger would pick it up. Beans, right? I think so. First it was William, then it was Teddy. Mm-hmm. Well, this time she dropped her phone and a stranger picked it up mm. and then tried to kill her. Yep. And then this one's really but a stretch. But who saved her? <laughs> yeah. Teddy. So not a stretch. This one really is one. And I brought this up. You were like, no, uh, the stalker's name is Peter, just like Dolores' dad. I mean, it's got to be on purpose. I think it's very... He's trying to wake her up to the truth, which we could say was kind of the relationship going on with her father, although really it was vice versa. I don't know. It was a little complicated, but a more direct parallel, she's wearing light blue Yep. in the pajamas, like the light blue of her dress. Iconic blue. Now, most of the characters we see in this entire episode actually are not wearing color. It's black, white, or gray with, mm-hmm. of course, the exception of Maeve, who's got some of that bright red. Mm-hmm. So red and blue, another parallel to the opposite side of the equation that these two have found themselves on, even though they shouldn't be throughout the seasons. And then lastly, her roommate makes her choose between two shoes for the night, mm. black and white. Mm-hmm. Are you a black hat or a white hat, exactly. William? Exactly. No, that's fun, right? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, a lot of symbolism 
the show writers know what they're doing when it comes to that, but possibly the most telling in the upcoming scenes when Christina goes to work. At Olympiad Entertainment, she dictates a narrative. We talked about these depictions that come up on screen, but the narrative she's writing is a girl, no, a teenager, who lives at home with her father in the country, no, the city, and dreams of a bigger life, one with adventure, excitement, romance. Oh, Dolores, my goodness. She's interrupted by her boss, Emmett, who's concerned about her work performance. He says she needs to stop pitching these saccharine stories. Wow, is she Lee? I guess so. That's a terrible analogy between these two, but she is writing these storylines that, you know, people don't want. You got to spice it up a little. Forget about these NPCs that are just background fodder, right? That sounds all too familiar. Really does. Violence, tragedy, sex. If she can't keep to the script, they'll find another writer who can. After leaving, though reluctant, Christina goes on this date with a man named Henry. It's it's not going so great. This guy sucks! <laughs> She's describing her job, where she writes mostly in beta for these NPCs, but it's okay, because she's really doing it for herself. Real life can be disappointing. There should be more. I feel like we've heard that before. Yeah, and at this comment, <laughs> the winner Henry reflects, eh, she seems depressed. You know, there's a tab for that. <laughs> It'll fix you right up. She flees to the bathroom for a moment where she gets another call. She's been getting these calls nonstop. She answers, and we hear this man, Peter, who says, The doctors think I'm crazy, but I knew you were real. Just like the towers are real. Jason, what are the towers? I don't know. You need to stop what you're doing. You're destroying my life. You need to end this or I will. And that's the end of that call. But on the way home, she actually bumps into a man who turns out to be Peter. He's the one from the calls, and he asks her to leave us alone. I I lost lost my my job, job, my my wife. wife. I thought it was the tower, but... It was you. You made me do those things. All these people do what you want them to. I know what you're talking about. No, 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 no. How did you know so much about us? (laughs) The game you wrote us into a... How? Listen to me. I'm so sorry for everything that's happened to you, but I have nothing to do with that. I can't help you. You need to help me. I need for the story to change. I need the ending to be different. I'm sorry. Well, he's then overtaken by a mystery stranger. They get into a brief fight under the streetlight. Teddy! (laughs) But the lamp flickers, and just like that, they both disappear. That doesn't happen in real life. Waking up in bed the next morning, Christina continues going through the same routine until she gets another call from Peter. What? he's fine. He's still around and fine. He's looking for her help. She tries to convince him her stories aren't real, but he asks, do you remember how mine ends? Looking up, she sees him standing on top of the roof of the building. Is this up to me, or did you write this too, he asks, and then jumps. Whew, he's not fine anymore. Nope. Later on, outside on her fire escape, where she finds an image of the maze, by the way, big flashing lights, in case you didn't get the message. Wake up, Dolores. Hello. (laughs) Christina reflects she wants to write a new story about a girl who's searching, though she doesn't know what for, just that there's an emptiness in her life. She needs to find that thing that will make everything make sense. Maybe it's inside of her. 
<laughs> she wants a happy ending. And below the balcony, in the shadows, Teddy watches and looks up at her. Handsome man. Teddy's back, and if they kill Teddy off again, people on the internet will revolt. People will freak Killed out. Kenny? Yeah. So <laughs> here are some... Okay, we don't really know if Teddy's back, though, so let's not get overly hyped yet. Well, no, his name's not going to be Teddy. It's going to be something else. Sure, but I'm saying, is this the consciousness, the brain ball of Teddy, as we discussed in the prepper, that we thought was in the sublime, the valley beyond? It doesn't seem like the man in black has acquired that yet. That's mm -hmm. why he's buying this server farm. That's what they've been after. How would they get to any of these unless it's not his side? And if it's not his side, who's controlling whatever this is that's going on? Now, theory number one. Last season, we saw Dolores emerge from the park with several copies of herself, as it turns out, mm -hmm. uh, that she was planning on putting into different people, these brain balls that are copies of her. And it turns out when we see the version inside of the Hale body, it is coming to its own personality. Haloris has become something new. It's no longer Charlotte Hale. It's not Dolores. She is achieving sentience seemingly along a path that Dolores has led her down, has nurtured in her. With that theory in mind, the Dolores that we know is deadline that the creators gave us at the start of this season because... She was plugged into a Rehoboam that we thought was destroyed. Does not mean there are not potentially other copies of Dolores that could be put into a newly printed host. Sure. I mean, yeah. And nurtured to come to sentience by being run through, let's say, a simulation. Just like we saw Maeve being run through several simulations last season. This is something we know that they could do. So if Hale wants to bring the old Dolores back... Isn't that something she could theoretically do? Absolutely. If Rehoboam knew that it was about to implode, basically, it's easy for it. It's connected to everything, right? To make the copy of her and send it to the other backup Solomon. robo or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is absolutely possible. One thing I'm 100% confident of is that these scenes with Dolores, sorry, these scenes <laughs> Christina. with Christina are not the same timeline as the scenes with Caleb and Maeve. If the copy we have of original Dolores is in fact broken, missing some elements, let's say it did come from a dying Rehoboam, sending out some data that's incomplete to someplace else, mm -hmm. that we now have to figure out, well, we know the way they've done this before, testing for fidelity is to run these hosts through their paces again and again, let's say, in some sort of simulation so that they can get to a likeness of that person. We also know when much, nay, all is missing mm. of the person you want to recreate, we've seen that happen too. Because Dolores rebuilt Bernard in the human likeness of Arnold based almost purely off her own memories of him. Yeah. So if we were to recreate some missing pieces of Dolores that way, what would we need? The memories from people who knew her. Okay. Which, if you wanted a lot of the goodness of the memories of people who knew her, you would need Teddy's memories. Yeah. Right? Wow. Okay. I like that. I'm not against it. I'm putting that in my list. I also am going to say... In that scenario, the other people that are surrounding her that we think are separate people, like Maya, the roommate, yeah. is that actually the essence of somebody else who knew Dolores back sure. in the day? That we are later going to see a different character, a Peter Abernathy, 
or somebody else yeah. who's also there in this world that feels real to her so she can go through the maze again and come to her own place. Okay, tell me why you think it could be a different timeline. Well, so, no, I like your theory, and I'm not against it. Uh, these are other theories that probably don't make as much sense as what you just did. Um, one, this is very shallow. All I have is two thoughts. Are we in a park with Christina? And this is Future World. Now, we've discussed Future World. We haven't seen it. Both could also be true because we thought we were seeing a new park last season that Maeve was in, War World, which actually turned out to be a simulation Sorak had put her into. True. Because there was one scene, there was people walking in the background. I don't remember specifically what they said, but they were like, whoa, that was amazing. I can't believe we just experienced that. And the other guy was like, I told you it'd be amazing here. So some people are saying that's now the human world. The human world has turned into the new park. Okay. Yeah, see, there's so many. I mean, it's been one episode, so theories are, there's so many of them because it could be anything. The, the reason, though, that I think it must be more than either thing that we're saying right now... Is because what's the... Peter. Okay. Peter is saying, you're real. You write these things that you think are games, right? The way the people that wrote Parks Like Westworld thought it was a game, but to the hosts that were living in it, this was life. This was life, and they wanted to control their own fate. They were desperately saying the same thing. We want to control our own ending. Whatever right. that's going to be, they were begging for people like Dr. Ford to give them a chance at sentience and humanity and their own freedom. So this man is telling her the same thing, meaning she feels like the creator, the orchestrator now, who is controlling people. Yeah. If she was, in fact, unified with Rehoboam at the end, this structure that seemed to be on the verge of controlling humankind, maybe that machine's not dead. And maybe it is kind of controlling humankind through this idea of a narrative, this game that these people think that they're playing, but it's their real life. Maybe. Stop yeah. messing with our real lives, whatever you've done in our heads that we can't choose. Against the, again, the strings that we saw in the opening title sequence. I thought it was the towers, but it was you. You're mm -hmm. the thing inside the tower in the machine that's actually yeah. controlling us. I like it. There's two other ones that I want to be true because it could perhaps bring Sir Anthony Hopkins back. Okay. And this is the past. Now we're way in the past. One, Christina was the first iteration of Dolores, and eventually we'll see Dr. Ford, Anthony Hopkins, come up and start talking to her and do his badass speeches. And then they made Dolores... This is, this is the human, in essence, that Dolores was modeled after? No, that's my next theory. Oh, okay. So this is the first iteration of Dolores. Okay. Dolores 1.0. Right. And then they made Dolores modeled after Christina. Got it. And that's why this Dolores was always feeling the same way that Dolores is, that Christina is feeling. Like there needs to be something more. Life is so empty. And that started to seep in later on. So who's the Peter character in that, that scenario? Well then, so let's move on to my final one. This is the past, and Christina is a human. Mm -hmm. So was Teddy, mm -hmm. and the hosts were modeled, modeled after them. That's and why still New we York, can get Ford. That's why New York looks so nice. Yeah. And still we can get Ford. It, it was a... That's definitely not post-apocalypse New York. No. You know and what I'm it, saying? It's, you know, they're leading you to believe eight years later we've rebuilt, but that's not what Caleb's seeing. No. And... There's weeds everywhere. If you see the, the scene with Caleb, like people are still managing to survive. But what I assume is 
a park that his daughter's playing at or just a field. It's just weeds everywhere. Yeah, it does not look this vibrant. But again, I go back to if she's in real life, why are things happening like people are disappearing right in front of her eyes? Why does a man named Peter think she's in control of everything? So yeah, you might be right. It's it's just a, a, another simulation, which if they play it right, I'll be okay with. If it's a simulation or she's inside of this other Rehoboam thing. Yeah, I mean, they did show it. And doesn't realize it because yeah. it's fragments of her inside mm. of there that in the outside world is controlling things, maybe unknowingly, unwittingly. I like it. But, you know, that's all she can really access from this standpoint. Maybe I just desperately want to see Dr. Ford again. <laughs> well, so in that scenario, is Teddy still here somehow? And trying to save her, trying to get her out of there, or is that just a blip in her mind that recalls some part of him? Look, even maybe even uh, Teddy's fake in her mind. Well, that's what I mean. But we haven't seen her see him yet. And you would think if it's just a fragment of her memory, we would see from her perspective. It's almost like we're seeing from an outside. Looking in. Look. Mm. So. I don't know, but it's exciting. All right. I think we have theorized quite enough. Clatchers, write those down. See if we get any of them right or all of them wrong, which is most likely. Well, when we throw out this many things, we say that every (laughs) season. We're bound to be close to right on one of them, right? Okay. Let's go to our reverie rating. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't remember my ratings for two years ago, three years ago before that, four years ago before that. Would you like to? I would. Give me the episode one of every season. Season one, The Maze. Episode one, Mia 9-5, you a 9-6. Do you remember how excited we were? Because we were coming off of Game of Thrones, and we didn't know what show to watch next. And we chose this one. We were like, I, I hope to God it's good. And then we watched the first episode. We're like, it's fucking good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> season two, The Door. Episode one, Mia and 8-3, you and 8-1. Oh, wow, we dropped. That's down. Season three, The New World. Mia 9, you and 9, 3. Ooh. Back up. Well, I'll tell you this. For uh, episode one of a show, often podcasting after an episode one of a show, we're like, we don't have much to talk about theory-wise because it's only been one episode, but it's quite amazing that we already have so many theories. There were some slow moments, but that's because they're trying to set up a whole new narrative. I truly appreciated it. I'm going to give it a solid 8.9, which is really high. That is super high. I was thinking back. I definitely, <laughs> I'm never going to come close to season one. Three, I'm surprised I went as high as a nine, but I think I liked the introduction of Caleb, some of the new stuff that was going on. I think two, my eight, three, I was really frustrated with the twistiness of not knowing what was going on because I went up as the season went along. When other people got frustrated with two, I started to like it a little uh-huh. more. I'm back to, I don't know what's going on. I feel like they're trying to trick me. (laughs) I know they're trying to trick me, but I think I do like it better than season two, so I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay, nice. We're starting strong, baby. And next, our MVB, Most Valuable Being. To remind you, we went on to Twitter, at CKC Podcast. We asked our Clatchers, who is your MVB for episode one? This week, we gave you Maeve, Christina, Caleb, and the Man in Black. Uh, Basically all the big ones. (laughs) We got a good amount of votes, but I will tell you up front, there's still two days left on this poll. We're recording this Monday night. Chances are, Christina and I work so many jobs in the real world that uh, 
Monday nights we won't be able to record, so we're always going to keep them open. So just write to us and keep voting. Are you saying we're stuck in a loop? We're stuck in a loop. Coming in at fourth place as of Monday night is Caleb. Oh, poor Caleb. With 4.5%. 4.5. Coming in in third place is The Man in Black with 22.7%. Strong showing for one scene in which he's a host. It was a badass scene, though, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, he's pulling some numbers. And tied for first is Christina and Maeve. Both with 36.4%. Wow, it's always Dolores and Maeve, isn't it? That's crazy. Clatchers, thank you so much for voting. And thank you so much for the retweets and the likes. Please, when you see us put this, put this poll up and you know you have friends watching it, just retweet it so that they can give their vote as well. All right, Christina, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to tell you it's Maeve. I understand people are probably excited to see Christina, but... Things are happening around her. Yes. She's not doing anything. She has no agency. If we've thought Dolores of the past have had little agency, and we came out of season three opener with her just getting out of the park with all those brain balls, and guess what? All those brain balls turn out to be Dolores? (laughs) Whoa! She's got way more power than this season. So I'm surprised, actually, that she's even ranking tied at present. I think people are excited to see her. And it's interesting the way they're pulling it off. I was so concerned. If you listened to our last episode, I was like, what are they going to do? I don't understand. Yeah, but it's. It makes a lot more sense why you feel tied to Maeve, who has way more empowerment at the current moment. Yeah, she's in control. She's mm. obviously looking into memories, trying to figure something out, which we don't know yet. Uh, she was hiding out in the boondocks, and then people start fucking with her, and she sends her truck a fly in. And then she starts sending bullets flying and blades and axes, I think, and then scalps someone. So you know what? Maeve to the rescue. She ports in. We don't even know how she did that. Yeah, it's no contest. My MVB is Maeve as well. And next up, we have Clatcher's comments. Thank you guys so much for writing in and telling us your thoughts. First up, we have Kirk. I see I'm going to have to learn how to spell Dolores with C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A for season four. Take my name and add an H, Kirk. We see her reawaken into her past innocence of season one and her pursuit of the love and beauty. And even Teddy. And Maeve picks up Dolores' mantle of killing, destruction, and revenge. Watch out, MIB. <laughs> yeah, Kirk this must be loving this. Oh, yeah. This is a Kirk show for sure. Uh, that sums up all of our thoughts and, and feelings. Melly says, my vote goes to Dolores slash Christina. And how she has the courage to face reality and how hard and depressing it can be. Hope we get to see more of Teddy next week. Oh, uh, we're definitely... Well, maybe not next week. I wonder what they're going to do. They might We got to go to us. Bernard, man. Well, we have Bernard and we have... Haloris. Yeah. Yeah. So they might leave us... I think we're going to get a little of Maeve and Caleb mm-hmm. every episode almost. But I think they can... They'll probably pause the Dolores thing. But I think... Right. If Christina is not where she seems to be, which it doesn't seem like, they're going to have to stall her a little bit. Yes, right? exactly. And also, if it's in a different timeline or a different place, mm-hmm. you can only play with the back and forth so much. Better to hide it. They learned that the hard way in season two. Next up, Orin Shaw. Welcome back. On Twitter, he unfollowed us. So rude. But he's back. (laughs) Welcome back. He wrote, I voted for Caleb since I don't remember anything from the past seasons, but I love Aaron Paul. 
And he's really the only human, if you want to root for one, (laughs) that we're positive about. David Johnson says, as soon as the man in black arrives, you just know someone's in for a bad day. (laughs) Absolutely. Whoever he's talking to, you're screwed. Oh, Wes, good to hear from you again. Christina's Murphy bed. (laughs) Saving space in New York City apartments. Even when they're not real, they have to be tiny shoeboxes. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, boy. Once again, thank you so much, Clatchers, for writing to us. Keep the digital water cooler going. If you think of anything during the week, we'll bring it up the next week. All right, Jason. Episode one, summary showdown. Summary showdown. Let's see who got luckier. This is either going to be one of our favorite segments, which I think it is, or it's going to be one of our most difficult segments. (laughs) Wait till you hear mine. Ready? I get the first line and the last line of the episode. They are, I don't like it. Why would he need us? Stupid stories nobody wants to hear. It already sounds like a Mad Libs. Yeah, it sure does. All right, so I'm going to talk you through this. I have four potential ones. Oh, four? No, we already eliminated one. I added a new one. We took it out and you added another? You're cheating at this game right off the bat. Well, no, I think this is more fun if we talk about it. And then I'll choose one. And you get the best choice while I'm stuck with stupid stories? Oh, no, you're right. I, I have three. My okay. bad. But let's discuss it. Okay. So you get choices while I'm stuck with stupid stories nobody wants to hear. It looks like I'm the architect and you are the host. Uh-huh. Spit them out. Art is a lie that tells the truth. That's a good one. I really like that one. Real life can be disappointing. There should be more. That's very Westworld, especially Dolores Westworld. Okay, here's where we're... We're going to get in trouble with you because you're not supposed to be picking ones consciously that string together to form a true synopsis. Oh, no, I'm not. But if we were, Mm. I would intentionally pick that That as an opener. You shouldn't have told me that. And then lastly, I'm beginning to think it's not that you fear war. It's that you miss it. And that was by Caleb's wife. I think that one was beautiful. I It is, but it's the weakest of the bunch. Okay. You know what? I'm going art is a lie that tells the truth. Yeah. Gut. That's my gut. Says that's the best one. Absolutely. All right. Well, I have saved these and we'll keep adding them up as we go along. You know, it's so true. That's why I like it. It has so many meanings. The meaning that they're giving, obviously. But also, when I show my art to people and they're like, oh my God, you're so talented. It looks so good. I'm thinking in my head... You know how many times I fucked up and had to erase or go back or redo it or start all over? And <laughs> if you only knew. It's an illusion. It, it tells you the truth about the world the way you, the viewer, wants mm-hmm. to see it, what you interpret onto that painting. You ever go to an art show and it's just a dot? And they're like, ah. some guy's like, this symbolizes pregnancy. And uh, blah, 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 blah. Right, and And it's not real. It's his interpretation. So what does that tell us about humans versus hosts? It is actually fitting the more you think about it as a Westworld parallel. And speaking of host, Christina and I, the CKC, have a Patreon where we give you three episodes a month, a movie review, a bonus podcast where we discuss pinpointed topics like the brain or last month we did diamonds, pearls, and gemstones, the meaning behind them and why they're so valuable. Uh, We've done so many different things. And then we also do coffee breaks where we give you mini reviews, spoiler free, to let you know what you should watch this month or what you should stay away from. Plus, so many other fun things. We do skits, 
Jason's horrible jokes. It is a party over there. So come join us. Get more CKC for the price less than a Starbucks coffee. You can join the crew. You also get entered into a drawing to get free CKC gear. So right away you'll have like the price of a shirt is like four months free. So it's win-win for you guys. But this month, what are we doing? All about robots. Robots in the real world. The world here. That's right. And how we're advancing, how similar or dissimilar Westworld is to it. Their current uses, future potentials. We're not going to dive too deep into any one area because there's so much to talk about. We're going to give you an overview of everything. And we're going to think about how it might tie into this show. And at the end of every bonus, we have a game or skit. You'll have to be tuned in for that. But it's not over yet today. We have two more quick segments before we close out this episode one. First, our closer look. And that is the meaning of flies. Ooh. Jason, what are they about? Uh, uh, Why are they I, here everywhere? When I think of flies, I think of Jeff Goldblum. Uh-huh. Because he was in the fly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Anything else, though? <laughs> when you think of our life, the real world, mm. when you ponder flies, what's your impression? I always think about the complexities of the children's song. Shoe fly, don't bother me. Is it shoe fly, like get away from me? Or is it an actual shoe fly that's bothering you? Which is a type of fly. Yeah. So, that, I mean, the complexities of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay, so you don't just think of a pest that you want to swat. Well, yeah, shoe fly, don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that at least throughout many parts of the world. Flies are frequently seen as harbingers of death. Oh, okay. And that is because they flock to things that are dead, right? See a dead the, animal, the ca- there's a, a tons of flies yeah. around there. Yeah, and then lay their eggs inside of it, and then you get maggots. <laughs> so it's a pretty grim, kind of gross life cycle. Mm. We're not thinking of anything too pleasant. In fact, throughout the Eastern world, they're frequently seen as bearers of death, pestilence, that's another thing, spreading disease or even companions of evil, if we want to think about religious contexts. In different symbolism, they often warn of impending danger or alert us to areas of our lives which have been neglected. So if you think about symbolic, it's kind of the buzzing in your ear. Mm. So there's something that's trying to wake you up to a reality that's going on, which Uh. would be very Westworld if we just think of the flies landing on the host. On the eyeball. And walking around, wake up. (laughs) But how does that relate to humans? And one of the less grim meanings, actually, for the fly is adaptability. Flies find ways to survive and make the best out of any situation. So are they actually signaling us to something better? Hmm. Some bigger potential. Now, if they are in fact doing some more nefarious work in this season and they're not just auguries, but literal actuators, then I'm probably going to feel a little differently about them than I do now, but we'll come back to that. Our last area is typically our spoiler section. We don't have much to tell you this time, but we're going to talk about the episode title and preview for episode two. So if you are afraid of that, we'll see you next time. If you're still here, we know that episode two is titled Well Enough Alone. Now, does this mean leave well enough alone? As in stop changing something that's already good enough? Hmm. Because that's the common phrasing. Or does someone need to be left alone? 
I'm doing well enough alone. Hmm. Please get out. Or perhaps really randomly, we could be talking about a song title, Well Enough Alone by Chevelle. Hmm. Evil shows another side and like before makes no sense. Never coming, always leaving right before. Dig in deeper, can't reveal why we leave well enough alone. Welcome back to Westworld. There's always multiple meanings for everything. So any final thoughts before we close out episode one? No, I'm super excited that we're back at Westworld. It's really exciting to be back on these channels for the CKC. Although I don't know how we're going to pull it off with the amount of work we have to do in our real life, but we're going to do it and we're going to enjoy doing it. So Clatchers, keep in mind, we don't have a rhythm yet. So we're either going to come out Wednesday nights or Thursday nights. So just keep an eye out, subscribe, and you'll see it. And you'll see it on your timeline. Or subscribe to us on Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew, Twitter, at CKC Podcast, or Instagram, at CKC Podcast. Also, on coffeeclatchcrew.com, along with a plethora of other things, like you could see our What We're Watching scores. There's so many things. Just go check it out. The homepage tells you when we predict the next episode to be released. There's it has a, a countdown. Right, there's a countdown timer. And while we do want you to try to get your MVB polls in as quick as possible so that we can talk about them here, if there's other general feedback that is later to us, we'll always cover that next episode. So feel free to write in any bigger thoughts, theories, possible meanings of titles, and the opening credit sequence. We want to hear it all. Till next time, this round's on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me.